Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 153. This is my first solo episode in a while. We've actually been doing a little run of guests from outside the baseball realm, and I thought it'd be a good chance just to pop in um, one to kind of break the, the chain of that, even though they've been going great. A lot of people like to get some regular baseball content, so I wanted to sneak this, this solo episode in. And I think it's an important topic. I'm going to cover why pitching injuries occur. And this is really kind of a step back, take the 30,000-foot view and talk about some things other than just pitching mechanics. Um, you know, it's the most debated aspect of the industry without a doubt. Um, and I think we need to really take a step back and think about how there are a number of both intrinsic and extrinsic factors that can impact why pitchers get hurt. And hopefully it gives people a more comprehensive way to look at how they, they manage pitchers. With that said, I do want to give you a quick heads up that my, one of my newer products, Thoracic Outlet Syndrome Diagnoses and Interventions, is on sale for $50 off through this Sunday at midnight. Um, this is a collaborative effort with the Fascia Training Academy that took close to two years to, to pull together um, a, a product I'm super excited about. It takes an unprecedented deep dive into understanding, identifying, and treating TOS, um, their detailed anatomical innovations, their guided cadaver dissections, practical exercises, and some powerful case studies. It really takes you kind of behind the scenes to give you rehabilitation specialists and fitness professionals in the crowd, really good knowledge surrounding this condition, which can, can really be debilitating in, in you know, overhead throwing athletes. So if you're a clinician or you're someone, you know, kind of looking to, you know, help players avoid this, um, I think it's a really, you know, it's a, it's a good resource that'll help you a lot. Um, and yeah, you heard that right. Um, the product does include excerpts of cadaver dissections and some accompanying voiceovers for the absolute best look at upper extremity functional anatomy that you can imagine. Um, gross anatomy was far and away the most beneficial course of my academic career. And I'm excited to share some of that, um, you know, with the folks who are listening. Um, it's a really remarkable perspective if you want to really appreciate how structure dictates function. So that said, you can check it out if you go to ericcressy.com backslash thoracic outlet. Um, that'll link directly to the sales page if you want to check it out. Again, it's $50 off this week. Thoracic outlet syndrome diagnoses and interventions. It's ericcressy.com backslash thoracic outlet. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive NSF certified for sport daily nutritional supplement I've ever tried. With so many stressors in life, it's difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits and give our bodies the nutrients they need to thrive. As a father of three young kids and a co-founder of multiple businesses in multiple states, on top of still being an avid exerciser, I know that busy schedules can really take their toll on us. Whether it's poor sleep, exercise or life stressors, environmental factors, or simply not eating enough of the right foods, we can wind up deficient nutritionally. This is where Athletic Greens can really help. It's a game-changing nutritional insurance policy. They simplify the logistics of getting optimal nutrition on a daily basis by giving you just one thing with all the best things. And that's why I use it daily and recommend it to our athletes. One scoop of Athletic Greens contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more. They work together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet, increase energy and focus, aid in digestion, recovery, and supporting of a healthy immune system. This all can happen without taking multiple products. While most nutritional products come to market and stay stagnant, Athletic Greens continues to obsessively improve this one holistic formula based on the latest research, producing 53 improvements over the last decade. They invest in the most absorbable and natural source of each ingredient and go above and beyond in third-party testing to ensure their customers continue to receive the highest quality and best daily nutritional habit on the planet. It's lifestyle-friendly, whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, and contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on taste. 
They put 75 ingredients to the NSF for sport certification to come up with a formula that's trusted by some of the world's best athletes, including our own. Right now, Athletic Greens is giving our listeners 10 free travel packets with their subscription. Simply go to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy to receive my offer. These travel packs are perfect for supporting your immune system, energy, and gut health when you're traveling for games, training, or simply when you're on the go. They can be a great counterbalance to less than ideal on-the-road food options. So if you want to bridge the gap between deficient and optimal and give yourself the best chance to get nutrient diversity, then head to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy and get your 10 free travel packets today. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about how pitching injuries occur, um, some new ways to look at some of the same old injuries that we unfortunately uh, continue to see in all levels of baseball. Um, I think this is actually a really good follow-up to last week's episode with Dr. Peter Kriz, where we talked about some of the potentially harmful effects of showcases, both with respect to injury rates and you know longer-term development pitchers. So if you haven't listened to that, definitely check it out now. Um, and really one of the best ways I think that you can appreciate this particular podcast is to actually take out a piece of paper and write down a number of bullet points. And, and the first bullet point is going to be mechanics. The second one is going to be systemic factors. The third one is going to be pitch type. The fourth one is going to be environmental factors. The fifth one is going to be structural pathology. The sixth one is going to be usage. The seventh one is going to be alignment. Eighth one is strength slash stability slash motor control. And the ninth one is tissue extensibility. And what I'm really trying to just paint the picture of in this particular discussion is all the different factors that I really try to consider when we see a pitcher who, who's been hurt. So either someone who, who is hurt, you know, currently, and we want to backtrack it out and reverse engineer why it took place or someone who's been hurt in the past and we want to prevent it from, from taking place. And certainly, you know, something that, uh, you know, we might see with a, a young kid who's got a lot of arm speed that we really want to make sure that we protect him in the years that follow as, as the stress and the pressures of, of pitching on bigger and bigger stages really comes about. Um, so where I want to start is I want to talk mechanics and, and what's interesting. And, and I think a great listen, if you haven't checked it out yet, was Ben Hansen on at one of our early episodes, it was episode 23. One of the things that, that Ben talked about, and he's scrutinized, you know, deliveries as they relate to, to health and performance as much as almost anybody on the planet. And one of the points that, that Ben from his, his biomechanical background made was that we probably know a lot more about how to optimize performance with mechanics than we do how to optimize health. And really what we're, we're speaking to there is that there've been lots of guys who have stayed healthy what we, with what we might've considered ugly deliveries. And we've also seen a lot of guys who have gotten hurt with what we might consider really good deliveries. Um, and, and in that podcast, Ben, you know, cited the example of the Tommy John twist. So guys that, you know, have an aggressive kind of like uh, push the ball towards center field before, you know, delivering a pitch where they get really, really long in the back. And then certainly the, the inverted W folks whose, whose elbow climb above their shoulders. Um, and what's interesting is the research has actually kind of thrown these, these principles out in terms of predicting injuries. They, they really weren't as good. Despite the fact that, you know, conceptually we saw a lot of arms that maybe got hurt with those approaches. You know, it was really hard to necessarily pin them down as, as definitely harmful. And, and I think the, the challenge is simply that there are so many factors that work into it. You might have athletes that throw these mechanics and they, they may be potentially harmful, but they do some other things well to effectively cancel them out. And, you know, I think what, what also confounds this challenge 
is that we are getting to the point in baseball where um, we're getting to velocity thresholds that make players susceptible regardless of, of their delivery. Um, that was another thing we talked about on last week's podcast is, you know, depending on the study you're looking at, um, you know, injury risk seems to go up every about 15 to 20% with every one mile per hour um, velocity increase that we see. So that's just with respect to UCL injuries. That doesn't even take into account what we're seeing with shoulders, you know, the increased incidence of, of thoracic outlet syndrome, all these different things that are creeping up as velocities go up. So it's really hard to say that any one thing is going to magically keep pitchers healthy. Um, what we know is that, you know, guys who don't run fast don't usually pull their hamstrings. So, you know, when we're seeing velocity climb higher and higher. We are going to inherently be playing with fire with a lot of these athletes. Um, you know, building on this mechanical discussion, we have to be really careful about just overhauling mechanics. Um, you know, these dramatic adjustments in high performers can often take away deception or they may, you know, create unwanted adjustments to pitch profiles that actually make a pitcher successful. So when you're, when you're playing with mechanics, you know, to try to optimize health, there may be opportunities for you to accidentally make an athlete substantially worse. So, you know, these are really, really big questions you have to ask. And I think if you ask a hundred different people, you know, there are very different um, opinions on what good mechanics really are, what the key checkpoints in the delivery have to be. You know, certainly if we see a guy whose arm is inverted at front foot strike, it's going to be really hard to throw a breaking ball downhill. And we need to look at, you know, what factors, whether it's, you know, looking at the hip load early in the delivery or actually changing the way they take the ball out of the glove, something like that can potentially impact, you know, that, that downstream ability to be effective. But, um, you know, for me, I generally try to think upstream more often. And for me, mechanics are always going to be secondary to a number of other factors, many of which I'm going to discuss now, things on, along the physical preparation side of things. A lot of times we tight, we try to take mechanical solutions, um, you know, to what may be physical limitations that what may be chronic fatigue states, all those different things. So, you know, the, the first lesson in this podcast is that while mechanics may in fact contribute to injury, um, and, and the connection is less understood than we might have realized, you know, might have thought we realized previously, it's probably not the first place you could, should go as you start to uh, kind of attack this, this collection of thoughts that, that we outlined in that bullet pointed list at the start. So where do we start? I personally like to go to systemic factors first. We always want to think upstream. So what are some things that we look at? Well, you know, in, on higher level athletes, we can look at comprehensive blood work. If you look at things like vitamin D status or, you know, magnesium numbers, these are things that can have implications. Magnesium in terms of, you know, kind of like how, how quickly athletes fatigue and how they recover between sessions can certainly impact sleep quality. We know that some people who supplement it with, with that can, can improve dramatically on the sleep side of things. And then vitamin D, there's some really compelling research looking back to the NFL combine a long time ago that, you know, athletes that, that showed up with vitamin D deficiencies and, and insufficiencies were more likely to to deal with um, soft tissue injuries in the years that followed. So we need to be really mindful of taking care of that. I think we have, you know, systemic factors like congenital laxity. Athletes who are more loose jointed are going to be more likely to have ligamentous injuries. Maybe they're less likely to have, you know, muscle and, and tendon injuries, um, but they are going to be more susceptible on the ligamentous side of things. You know, we'll see scenarios where recent illness can really mess athletes up. Certainly over the last couple of years, you know, we've seen pitchers and, and position players who have, who have had a really hard time bouncing back from significant COVID cases. Um, that's something that, that's been front and center, obviously, since 2020. But, you know, I can even think back to 
training a high school athlete, you know, 12, 13 years ago who had some chronic, like kind of, um, you know, anterior rib cage type discomfort. And it was residual effects of costochondritis. Um, he'd had, uh, basically, a you know, kind of a, a previous illness that had led to some, you know, kind of consistent, um, challenges. I believe it was a mono case that actually predisposed it to him. And, you know, he did a short course of, of NSAIDs and was great, but you just have to be mindful of, of how much a, a recent illness can throw an athlete into a tough position that might actually, you know, ha- have them hang on a ligament a little bit more than they otherwise would. Um, travel is another big one. I know one of the you know generally you know accepted perspectives on on you know changing time zones is that you'll you know take a, basically a day to adjust for every time zone that you change. So you can imagine an athlete going from Seattle to Miami and playing a game the next day. You know they're they're really working with a different internal clock and trying to adjust. We also know there are a lot of athletes. Um, that, that really struggle to not just sleep on planes, but many that struggle to hydrate. We'll see people that get chronically dehydrated when they fly, um, just because of the nature of it being kind of an inconsistent environment. And, and really sleep is, is, is something that we can't overlook. Um, you know, teenagers, teenagers in the research that sleep less than six hours a night have a 1.7 times greater injury risk than those who sleep more than eight hours a night. That was a landmark study that, you know, I think has, has been something that's been cited a ton in our industries and, and really needs to be, um, you know, kind of a, a good reminder to a lot of our athletes. But, you know, at the, at the end of the day, accumulated fatigue, whether it's from travel, whether it's from recent illness, whether it's from, you know, basically just having a poor night of sleep or extra stress in your life, all these things really add up and can lead athletes to, to be a little bit more vulnerable to injuries. And, and not only that, I think that's something that's going to be very front and center. And we're already starting to see it, um, with the addition at, at pitch clock at multiple levels is there is an adjustment where, you know, we might see a very different athlete in the fifth inning than we do in the first as the fatigue kicks in and they, they just have shorter bouts to, to really bounce back. So if you're trying to prepare for the pitch clock, you know, after the season has already started, that's generally a sign that you didn't prepare for it early enough. And so it's kind of like changing the tires on a car that's still moving. Um, other systemic factors, hydration is a really, really big one. You know, one of the biggest causes of, of, you know, daytime fatigue and headaches and things like that. So you definitely have to stay on top of hydration, you know, particularly in, in hot climates where, you know, sweat losses are really, really significant. Um, and I think it's especially important to remind young athletes that, that, you know, earlier games in the day, most athletes do show up too dehydrated. You know, when you play a one o'clock game and you're a teenager that sleeps till 10 a.m., it's really hard to dehydrate sufficiently. So you have to be really prepared in that regard. Um, I don't think we can ever overlook the impact of various medications. Like I've speak, spoken in the past on this podcast about you haven't seen some athletes who, who went on uh, Accutane prescriptions and uh, for, for acne issues and, and wound up having a, a collection of kind of musculoskeletal challenges as they, um, you know, they tried to participate in baseball. But I think even at, at different levels, we, you know, we see Medrol dose packs given out a lot in professional baseball. Um, you know, and we do know there's some, some potential uh, harmful effects in the context of, of bone so you know if you're on a medrol dose pack are you more susceptible to stress fractures and things like that those are things that you know certainly have, have been discussed in the literature and you know are, are should be in the back of our mind anytime we're talking about athletes that are getting hurt and then last but not least i know we have a lot of softball players that, that do listen to these podcasts and their, their coaches and their parents and we know that the the menstrual cycle can can absolutely impact things we know there, there are estrogen receptors on the acl that, that make athletes a little bit more susceptible to tears at certain points um, during the the menstrual cycle so i think that's something that we need to consider when we talk about softball pitching injuries and all that is there there probably are going to be a few days a month when when our athletes may be more exposed to you know having challenges like that so we really have to think systemically 
quickly, before we start thinking about an athlete, let's talk about the, the healthy person that just happens to be stepping onto a, you know, to a baseball or a softball field so that we can put them in the best position possible from a sleep quality, from a, you know, blood work, from a hydration, food intake, all those different things, um, you know, are going to be really, really impactful um, for, for keeping them healthy downstream before you even get to any of the other stuff. We interrupt this episode with a quick reminder that this podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. It's an NSF certified all-in-one superfood supplement with 75 whole food sourced ingredients designed to support your body's nutritional needs. I use this product daily and a ton of our athletes do as well. Head to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy and claim my special offer today for 10 free travel packs with your first purchase. I'd encourage you to give it a shot too, especially because of this great offer and because it gives you peace of mind knowing that you're covering all your nutritional bases. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y to get that special offer. For our third factor, pitch type is is a really important discussion that I think the industry is still somewhat divided on. And, and being transparent, I am too. I think it depends a lot on, on the age and caliber of athlete we're talking about. You know, there is some research to show that change-ups do seem to be easier on the arm um, and that you know some other stuff that, that shows that sliders may be tougher on the arm, particularly in younger players. I would argue that any new pitch is likely going to be harder on the arm because it's going to require adjusting to new stress. Like I've, I've seen athletes who have, who have added curveballs after throwing sliders their entire career. And all of a sudden it's a new level of soreness that they just have to adjust to. So I think a lack of familiarity is a, you know, is an inherent stressor that we have to be mindful of. Um, it's also really hard to reevaluate or to, to evaluate the stress of a pitch if it's not being thrown correctly. So, you know, there is some evidence and, and we did a, a previous episode. So definitely check out the kids and curveballs episode, which was with Christian Wonders, one of our early episodes where we talked about it. Um, you know, it's really hard to evaluate the stress of a pitch if, if they're not throwing it correctly. When kids are learning how to throw curveballs, we usually see just a lot of ugly sliders that are accidental that, that back up. And um, we need to be mindful that, you know, these are considerations. So, I don't know that there's one pitch that terrifies me more than another. Um, do I get a little nervous when guys throw 70% sliders? Yes, absolutely. Um, but I think at that level, they've probably learned to adapt to, you know, to that stressor. Should we see high school kids throwing, you know, 80% curveballs? No, that's, that's probably a big concern. Um, and I don't think anybody in the industry would be divided on that, but we do need to be mindful of any new pitch to a pitcher is probably going to be a stressor. So when you're learning that pitch, you probably need to gradually onboard to it just a little bit quicker. I do think we're seeing kind of this trend of teaching everybody a sweeping slider in baseball. And there, you know, there's certainly some guys who have, who have developed some really nasty pitches. You know, I, I do worry sometimes that guys are throwing them too aggressively, too quickly, instead of just kind of letting it happen over the course of time. Um, you know, we do have more resources with you know, our pitch tracking uh, technology and also, you know, edutronic cameras, things like that to, to learn it quickly. But at the end of the day, you only have so much, you know, in, in terms of bullets in the chamber that you can use while you're trying to learn it. So I do think we need to take a little bit more of a, you know, a longer term perspective on some of the pitch design stuff that's taking place. Um, environmental factors is a fourth one that I think is really important. Um, heat and humidity absolutely impact um, you know, what, what pitchers are dealing with. I think, you know, we saw that become a bigger issue as the sticky stuff crackdown happened across baseball and, and pitchers didn't feel like they could get a grip in, in humid environments. But but certainly we see athletes, you know, in, in the heat who also just deal with dehydration and, and altered performance. Um, certainly, you know, pitching in Colorado, the altitude is something that a lot of pitchers have struggled to bounce back from um, and obviously changes the characteristics of their their pitches themselves. Um, I think mound quality is another one that, that is highly variable, particularly 
at the youth ranks. So we do see pitchers whose, whose deliveries may be altered dramatically if they're on a really steep or a really cruddy mound. Um, if the mound is too soft or, you know, the, the pitcher that they're pitching again digs a big hole. These are all things that can really leave them in, you know, kind of a, a transient state of exposure to, to injury. And then certainly, you know, the type of baseball seam height impacts a lot of things. You know, you see balls that are rubbed up differently and pitchers absolutely notice this stuff. And, you know, so this has been a big point of discussion in Major League Baseball over the last couple of years. And you know, the jury's still out on whether it really does impact pitching injuries. But I think most of the the more established pitchers in the game will say that, you know, they, they do want a consistent baseball. Otherwise, you know, it is going to be in some way predisposing athletes to, to you know, having some kind of injury risk. Um Number five is is something that I, I don't think we can overlook, and it's it's structural pathology. Um, and I'll give you the best example: is we have a number of really high level uh, pitchers, really pretty much everyone um, that, that's going to be drafted in the the top you know three to five rounds. They all have partial UCL injuries. It's incredibly common. Most of these pitchers are throwing so hard, so young. Uh, you know, as we discussed on on last week's podcast regarding showcases. Um, they're throwing so hard, so young that they are getting these kind of tiny injuries on their UCL that calcify over. And that calcification becomes a point of, of kind of weakness on the ligament. They get older, they get, you know, bigger, stronger, more mechanically efficient. And eventually that ligament really goes. So, um, it's very uncommon to see like a clean shoulder elbow on an 18 year old MRI for the MLB draft and things that are already broken typically break down eventually. Um, so, you know, there's similar trends that are taking place in old shoulders where the, the rotator cuffs, you know, after 2000 innings, they start to slowly fail. Um, you know, they, they may adaptively kind of come up with a little bit of a stiffer capsule to give them some more passive stability at the shoulder. But the point is just that most pitchers are already broken to some degree. And it's just a matter of how much that progression takes place in the presence of a good arm care program, the right kind of treatments. Um, you know, pitchers can have long and durable careers, but you know, they often wind up in, in tricky spots if they're, they're too broken, too young. Um, and that's certainly borne out by some of Dr. Chris's research, you know, on, on success rates in athletes that do have Tommy John surgery at a long age. It's just a really hard time to, to make up that ground and, and have the success that you want from a long-term standpoint, particularly knowing that the, the native ligament is always going to be stronger than the, the reconstructed ligament. For our sixth point, usage is a discussion point that we absolutely need to consider. If you look at all the research on, you know, basically throwing injuries, really there are two things that always stand out uh, as very, very accurate predictors of injury. One is fastball velocity. The harder you throw, the, the more likely you are to get hurt. And then the second one is, is really overuse. And overuse can be a lot of different things. It can be an acute bout of overuse where you're throwing too many pitches in one outing, too many pitches in one inning. Um, it could be just a quick ramp up. Um, you know, we know you know, people are more likely to, to have lat injuries with really quick uh, bumps in, in, in workload where, you know, they try to take somebody from being a reliever and make them a starter overnight. So we have to be mindful of how we progress athletes. And then there's certainly athletes that just kind of pitch too much competitively throughout the year, right? There, there are certainly guys that make, you know, year-round throwing programs work because they kind of idle it and play catch for a period. But the idea of being competitive all year round is is kind of selling out for the dream, but but not taking into account just how much downside there really is to to pushing it so hard year round. So usage is a, is a really important discussion and, and, and it needs to be considered very differently at every level. Um, 
you know, there's, there's not a job in the baseball realm that's probably much harder than being a major league bullpen arm that's, you know, doing consistent high leverage outings. Um, you're always throwing the game on the line. You might have to throw back to back days and really ner- learn how to bounce back and manage your bullets with pregame throwing and, and working on things versus just actually competing. So there's a lot of different points that, that have to be considered. Um, you know, there's, there's some great research from Olson um, that came out all the way back, I believe, in 2006. Um, and then more recently, um, you know, Dr. Peter Chris from last week with his his research that's been published over two studies in the American Journal of Sports Medicine relating to showcase appearances and which is kind of a derivative overuse they generally happen at the worst times of year and you know force athletes to kind of bump outside of their acute chronic uh, model that they're prepared for so something we need to be really mindful of um, I think the pitch smart guidelines are, are outstanding they just need to be adhered to so if you haven't gone to pitchsmart.org um, definitely a good place to start in terms of understanding what the appropriate usage is by age group and by you know how long they've had off between outings and then you know our, our last three points really discuss uh, a lot more on the lines of physical preparation i think we always start with alignment you know if you have a car that's out of alignment and you go out and you drive 100 miles you're probably going to wear your tires a little funny you're probably going to need to get some some maintenance done on the car so we always try to start our stuff um, with athletes by, by kind of getting them a little bit more to a neutral alignment and by no stretch of the imagination by saying that baseball players should be symmetrical but i do think there's a level of asymmetry that becomes uh, excessive um, we had a really good episode with dr ron ruska from the postural restoration institute and you know they've been behind you know the concept of the left aic right bc pattern where you you see these low right shoulders and adducted right hips and um you know players basically become very lateralized to the right and and sometimes it can become excessive when they're right-handed pitchers playing a right-handed dominant sport living in a right-handed world driving right-handed cars um these are really you know important considerations and sometimes we just need to get folks a little bit back to neutral with some you know, some 90-90 hip shifts and, you know, different kinds of reaching exercises that we do in our warm-up just to give them a little element of neutrality before we go and start to challenge other things. In many cases, these are the things that really help you to not have to stretch things because when you stretch a, a a joint that's out of alignment, you create instability. Um, you know, when you get somebody back to a little bit of a neutral position, then you start doing some of your mobility exercises, you usually start from a much better position. And, you know, you're also, you know, in a better position to, to capitalize on, on point number eight, which is strengths stability and motor control all things considered you're going to be better at, at developing force um, when your position of, of neutrality is established so we always try to you know basically make sure that we put people on a good foundational starting point before they start to load and and i think strength is the foundation for a number of different things right you, you can't have power if you don't have a starting position of force so we always use strength to set the foundation gives us the foundation for you know for speed agility for stability of the joints and certainly, you know, to a degree, the motor control that surrounds how we stabilize the joint. So if we have a better strength foundation, we're in a better position to build up, you know, pitching specific endurance, building a gradual pitch count so that our rotator cuff is still doing its job in the sixth inning after 80 pitches that it was doing in the first inning when, you know, when we were really fresh and, and good to go. So that's something that's vitally important. Um, I think we see a lot of athletes that, you know, just don't come in with a strong enough foundation. Um, Duncan French on a, on a weak podcast reminded us that weak things break and strong things don't. And it's, you know, it's excessively simplified, but I do think it's an important message that we really need to use with our, our particular young athletes is that, that strength kind of buys you a seat at the table. If you, if you do enough quality work at a young age, it will set the stage for doing much, much better work down the road. 
And then our last point is just tissue extensibility, the ability to have length through the musculotendinous, um, you know, kind of interactions. And also, you know, in the in older athletes, you know, the actual capsule where, you know, they might wind up with some ligamentous stiffness. These are things that are all, you know, really important for us to, to preserve. We know a lot of pitchers lose motion following throwing appearances and you start to lose more and more motion. Um, and that can be a problem. I remember a, you know, a study from, from Mike Reinold um, where he looked at, at major league pitchers and found that the average pitcher lost about two and a half degrees of elbow extension over the course of each season keeping in mind that's average so it's you know it's taking some guys who probably gained some hyperextension who are more hypermobile and then some players that are really really stiff there, there were probably players in that data set that you know lost eight or ten degrees of, of elbow extension over the course of that season so you need to be mindful of that athlete over the course of three or four years could develop a really significant you know elbow flexion contracture and that creates a, a host of complexities that you have to deal with um, you know, and certainly we have athletes that, you know, may have, you know, uh, tissue extensibility changes that are there so long that they eventually become, you know, cemented joints. These might be athletes that, you know, develop reactive changes around their, you know, acetabulum. So their hip socket or their femoral head uh, as it sits in that socket. Um, so the, the ball and socket joint effectively has less room to move around. You know, we'll certainly see, you know, elbows that develop reactive changes and, and lay down more bone and, you know, it might break off and become a loose body or a fracture or something like that. So there's all these different things that we need to consider from a physical standpoint, but, you know, get people into good alignments so that we can make the most of our tissue extensibility slash motor, or excuse me, slash mobility work, get better manual therapy, um, and then certainly, you know, attack the strength slash stability slash motor control work. And then, you know, get on a good aggressive throwing program that's, that's progressive um, to make sure that we prepare people for the demands that are thrown at them. And, and then big picture, you know, kind of tying a, a bow on this to put it all back together, you know, putting this all into practice really takes, as you can imagine, it's a multidisciplinary approach, right? You have everything from, from, you know, dietitian slash nutritionist, you have mental skills coach that may prepare people for, for lifestyle changes that put them in a good position to systemically be in a great spot. You know, we may have sleep specialists that need to come into the equation, you know, team doctors that might oversee blood work, obviously strength conditioning coaches, rehabilitation specialists pitching coaches, all these different people have to contribute in some way to make sure that, you know, an athlete's put in the best position possible. It's not just as simple as saying on Twitter as loud as you can that an athlete has terrible mechanics and that's why he got hurt. Usually there's a lot more, you know, kind of detail that goes with it. Um, you know, it, there has to be a willingness to individualize and be thorough. You can't give the same program to everybody. You want to get away from the, the realm of one program on the dry erase, dry erase board that's followed by, you know, 25 athletes that are all very different. Um, and I think it also speaks to the, the need for prioritization. Um, you know, there's an old saying, if you chase two rabbits, both get away. You know, some athletes are going to need more of, of, of one thing than the other. Like we have athletes that are very strong who do very little lifting in season just because they built such a strong foundation. But those are the athletes that have to work really hard on tissue extensibility and alignment just to make sure that, you know, all that horsepower is being directed in the right way. Um, you know, we've other athletes that need to lift much, much more because they're, they're loosey goosey and, you know, they'll, they'll kind of, um, you know, feel almost excessively hypermobile if we don't give them that, that point of stability. So those are really important. I always come back to underneath this multidisciplinary approach, there, there's got to be collaboration where everyone agrees what the big rocks are. Um, and it's really hard to get everybody to agree on, on mechanics in most cases. So that's something that is, once again, not the first place I would go with most people. I'm more likely to look at movement proficiencies and systemic causes and, you know, where fatigue plays into things and, and then work downstream from that. Um, and then a, another thing to, 
you know, that gets overlooked. I think a lot of this stuff is athlete buy-in. You know, the athletes have to do the work. Programs only work when, when athletes do. So you could have the best plan on all of these nine factors. And if they don't, you know, necessarily, you know, kind of uh, follow through with the program, then none of it really matters. You've just done a lot of thinking and writing and um, there, there isn't going to be a good downstream effect. So, you know, to, to kind of like wrap this up with one last key point, though, I would say that the, the higher the level of the athlete, the less you need to change and the more changes are subtle tinkering than they are overhauling. So with big leaguers, you don't overhaul a delivery. You don't overhaul an arm action unless there's a really dramatic reason to do so. You can overhaul a lot more in a 13 or 14 year old kid that has a terrible delivery, is weak, hates stretching, and doesn't like to do a throwing program and drink soda with every meal and stays up all night. Like that, that is a recipe for disaster. You can overhaul that kid and, you know, attack as many of those habits as you want. Once you start talking about a 20 year old, 28 year old big leaguer who's, you know, throwing 98 miles an hour, getting paid a lot of money to do his job. The last thing you're going to do is tear things apart. You're going to be more likely to look at things that are upstream, you know, looking at fatigue, looking at how you prepare their body and, and what you can do to help them be successful with the, the high level of skill that they already have. So that wraps it up. Nine big things to consider mechanics, systemic factors, pitch type, environmental factors, structural pathology, usage, alignment, strength, stability, motor control, and tissue extensibility. I hope you enjoyed this and found it beneficial. A friendly reminder that, uh, again, the Arthrastic Outlet course, Diagnosis and Interventions is on sale this week. Just head to ericcressy.com backslash Thoracic Outlet, and you can get $50 off on that purchase this week. Thanks for joining.